Witches and wizards from all over the world are heading to Hogwarts for the Tri-Wizard Tournament. But the winds of change are coming with them, as Death Eaters start to make an unwelcome return. Could things get any worse for Harry? They just might, in the Goblet of Fire. Fire! I've come to a new burn! Day number four of Harry Potter Week here on Fair Entertainment. Uh, we have covered in the past few days Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban. And today we land on the fourth film and my favourite book, Michael. So you mentioned? Yes, The Goblet of Fire. Yes. By the way, I'm always Mike. And I'm Darren. Uh, yes, The Goblet of Fire. The uh, another. We had a change up in the last movie. Uh, in that we um, had a kind of really big shift in tone, uh, a, a break in the production where they allowed some of the actors to grow up, which was going to be necessary for the coming movies. They need to be able to be better actors. Ah, well. Uh, <laughs> well, that was the plan anyway. Um, and yes, we find ourselves here with another thing. It doesn't really change the tone. I think it goes back slightly more towards, at least for the majority of this movie, it does go back to more child-friendly up until the end where he abandons that crap completely and has the finale in a graveyard full of death. Yep. Which is and a straight-up murder. Oh, yeah, it's fun. fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, we have to talk about, of course, the highlight of the movie, Harry's hair game being at its absolute peak. Full-on Lego. Like, oh, my God. Like, full-on, like, magic mullet. It's absolutely fantastic. You mentioned this was his emo phase, and this definitely was. Oh, but you can't escape it in this movie. It's I so know. shaggy and wonderful. <laughs> but that's, that's something they did capture ex- perfectly about growing up in school, is how you go through awkward hair phases. Yeah, his hair mm. game was on point on this <laughs> one. <laughs> it rivals Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode two in terms of just having to stand up and applaud some hair game. Are we going to? No. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah um, uh, and I, I think that really helps. It also helps that we had a much more bombastic opening than we're used to uh, in the form of the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah, I love this scene. Uh, admittedly, I still think the, the port key is a bit of a stupid item, but the Quidditch World Cup as a large gathering of witches and wizards to show how a sporting tournament works in this fantasy world is genuinely brilliant, and I really like the way that this was designed. It helps, with, it helps build out the kind of... Um, the wizard community at large, to make them feel like there is actually a community there outside of just Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. You don't really see much of the wizarding community outside of Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. Yeah, so this, this this one actually kind of makes you notice how small Hogsmeade and Hogwarts are. Yeah. Hogsmeade is a very small village with people who essentially work in a school village. Yeah, That's what that is. The World 
cup opens it up to this is an entire globe of wizards. Yes. And you do start to get more of an international feel. And this is brilliant world building. Yes, it is. Really, really is. Um, plan C for Victor Crumb, of course, as well. We get to see some... We don't actually see any Quidditch. We see them enter into the stadium and yeah. it immediately cuts away from that, which is a bit odd. Um, but no, port keys have to be there, Michael, because there has to be an incident in every single film where they mention a magical thing from the books that's much more prominent, like the flu powder or um, or, or, or the thing with apparating. Uh, and then just mention it once and never mention it again, even though it's really useful. Yep. So that's what the port key does. Uh, yeah, the Quidditch World Cup, a, a nice start to the thing. And of course, the return of the Death Eaters. Yeah. Um, mentioned up until this point, but never really seen. Uh, they are the demonic followers of Voldemort. Uh, and they dressed like the Klu Klux Klan. Skeletor KKK. Exactly. There's no other way about this. They are ripping the KKK off. Straight away, of course, introduced by the wonderful line from uh, Mr. Weasley, uh, when they all think, oh, the Irish are kicking off. Yeah. Is, it's not the Irish. We'd love to throw in and go, it's not the Irish. It's Chip House. <laughs> they sound alike, but they're very different. Hey, look, we've established that the Weasers are from Tipton. This could be a genuine concern. There are Chip House in Tipton, so they, they would know the difference. Um, yes, yeah, so the Death Eaters are here, the KKK of the Harry Potter universe. Uh, they really are, though, because they're almost entirely white. Um, <laughs> yeah, actually, and they they it. hate they hate other people based entirely on their race and ethnicity and all that other good stuff and their and their social status and their um you know their their bloodlines and stuff so yeah really couldn't it close to the knuckle there JK oh, no. a kids franchise again I do love how quickly they're introduced though because like it's all fun and games and then all of a sudden everything is on fire yeah I love their introduction I, it's the pointy hats for me yeah the pointy hats are stupid if they had like proper like like, like again, visual medium on an audio podcast, Darren, but you understand if they had big, big open hoods like you would see in fantasy genres like Skyrim that sort of, like, fold down onto the back, that would make a lot more sense. But no, these are rigid but, as shit. Yeah, if you had, like, like just big billowy hoods like, like a Kylo Ren or, like, yeah. um, or um, you know, just, like, or Ronan the Accuser almost even, like, something more solid than that, I think that would be okay, but... No, it looks. It kind of makes them look a bit dorky when they're walking around with dunce hats on their heads. Especially as they're doing essentially what is a more serious version of the of, of the Gregorian chant in Monty Python's Holy Grail, where they keep whacking themselves with the boards because they're going around stomping with big fucking stats. I know. I think the mask looks weird. cool. I, I like the mask, even though it is very much you know Skeletor by way of. A monomath or something yeah, like that. It's very black metal. But they do eventually move away from that later movie. You don't really see anybody in the big pointy hats after this one. And to be fair, Harry Potter was meant to be wearing a big pointy hat. That's something that's dropped entirely from the books. Is that all school people are meant to have the big pointy hats on? Uh, that's gone. But yeah, a, a nice introduction. It kind of really sets the ball rolling of like, right, you had a movie off from him, but Voldemort is very much back in the picture now, and the kind of ground swell of support is back. Um, because of the previous, you know, the, the events of the previous years of the Chamber of Secrets and the Philosopher's Stone and all that good stuff. Um, we meet a new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, which we do in every movie. Uh, this is Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. Um, but it isn't. Obviously. Of course, we'll get to that later. Uh, yeah, another fan favourite from the books, kind of the, um, the terrifying teacher we all had that was a little bit unhinged. They were usually woodwork teachers. <laughs> uh, You're not wrong. They're always, always some sort of technology teacher. But yeah, they're always a bit unhinged, and that makes them a little bit scary. I like that he's an aura because that's a really fascinating part of the Harry Potter universe. He's basically yeah. the wizard police, uh, and he looks like someone that would be in charge of that with his wonky leg and crazy eye. Um, really, I do think they really did well there with uh, Brendan Gleeson. Totally, I love him as Mad Eye Moody. You, you, you understand almost immediately by looking at him, grizzled, no nonsense. A little bit mental. Yep. 
shown into great gusto. I know it's not him, but they don't actually change the character when he's mad or no, moody. No, it's completely the same. Yeah. It's 100% the same. Um, when he's doing the um, the unforgivable curses, yeah, yeah. that is like the, the tone shift of when he's got the dancer, the spider like dancing. And he goes, oh, what should I do next? Make him jump out the window. You're like, oh, reality check. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> swerve there, mad eye. Well done, well done. Also, he's my second favourite person to say Havada Kedavra. The first, of course, being Lucius Malfoy. It's like a bark. Yes, so um, he's introduced very early on, and of course at the same kind of meeting where Dumbledore's addressing the great, he also announces that there's no Quidditch because we're having the Tri-Wizard Tournament. Uh, that then introduces the uh, wizards from Durmstrands, which is like, uh, it's... From the Raxons, you can imply they're in, you know, Russia, Bulgaria type of region. And Bobatons, which is uh, French, very clearly French. Very French St. Trinians, but with magic. Yes. Um, they're both segregated schools, which always felt to be odd. Yeah. In that the, the uh, Bobatons is entirely female and Durmstrang is entirely male. They could have changed it up a little bit. There's some there's some quirks with J.K. Rowling's writing that I've always had problems with. Yeah. Um, Please do remind me before we end this entire series to talk about my problem with how, how she does slivering. Okay. Please remind me of that. It will come up at some point. Probably when we talk about Draco. Um, See so yeah, that we bring in the Toy Wizard Club and we find our two champions from these two, from the uh, Goblet of Fire, which is... It's weird that the Goblet of Fire is the title of this book and yet it is almost only in one scene. Two. Two scenes. Okay, it is... One where it's shown off, one where the um, Fr- Fred and George are trying to trick it and then that's it. It's gone after that. Why it wasn't called Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament, I don't know. That would make a lot a more, more sense. That's a more thing, but yeah. Or Harry Potter and the Jesus Christ, why is this allowed to happen to school children tournament? <laughs> because it's horrifying. Yes! Um, very good point there, but of course they do point out in the of course, movie that Harry Potter's not going to be in it and trying to get you a hope stand that he's not going to be in it because he's not old enough. But of course, then he is, and he has to join the three champions. Uh, we have, um, well, we'll talk about the two only important ones. That You have uh, Victor Crumb, who was introduced as the Bulgarian sne- um, seeker in the Quidditch World Cup. Yes. He's from Durmstrangs. He's a nothing of a character. Yeah, complete he's, blank slate. A Sam Worthington type. Yeah, he's, nothing there. He, he's not, he does actually turn up later on in the books. He's in the Deathly Hallows book, Yeah, uh, however briefly. And uh, he, he's still not much of anything in those books anyway. And that's almost implied that he's kind of just a bit of a puppet for um, for his headmaster, who for some reason I've compl- completely forgot his name of. Um, I will remember it, don't worry. But the important thing about the headmaster is, of course... Hang on now. Whoa, whoa. Eagle Clarkeroff. Hey, there, there it see, is. See, I can do this. Um, yeah, he. it's implied that he's basically the puppet master of Victor Crump. Um, and, of course, he's also a Death Eater, which yeah. we find out later on, which is nice. I lo- whoa, whoa, we can hold that scene for a minute. We can hold that oh, scene. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, and then we, oh, God. Yeah. Fleur de la Cleur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I have a problem with Fleur de la Cleur. Yeah. Because when I said her name originally, when I'm just reading it, it was Fleur de Cleur. Fleur de Cleur. <laughs> which I now can't say without setting up the Swedish chef from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Fleur de Cleur. Fleur de Cleur de Cleur. I'm so I know, and then, oh, then when God. I reread the books, I can't call her Fleur de la Cleur. She's Fleur de Cleur. Fleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur Inescapable. This amuses me. Absolutely inescapable. <laughs> I hope I've ruined Fleur de Cleur for all of you. Fleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur Fleur de Cleur de Cleur de Cleur Which, which... <laughs> Come on, we've got to stay okay, focused. Okay, 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 and focus. Let's bring it all down with Robert Patterson. Yeah. Let's bring it down. You know what? What? 
I think he actually does quite well as Cedric. That's because he's actually got range in this movie. Well, he's he, given a character with range. Okay, a, we'll say it that way. Yeah, he's given a character with something more to do than he ever did in Twilight, uh, which is just mope. Yep. Um, and he just he gets to be devilishly handsome and charming, which Robert Pattinson yeah. can do. Yeah, because he probably is devilishly handsome and charming in real life. Yeah, probably. Uh, tasting women aside, he's yeah, he's probably yeah. got right. Uh, I, I liked what they did with Cedric here because they, you can't have him be. You can't get too attached to him because of what's about to happen to him at the end. But in a way, that actually kind of works because you get somewhat attached to him. You go, oh, that's a shit. Yeah. So, you know. I, I, I could I, he could have even been mentioned in previous movies and just like having him see... I can't actually remember if he's in the books prior to Goblet of Fire, but... Yes, he makes um, an appearance in Azkaban. Right, there but, we go. But not, not interestingly enough. I remember I was watching Azkaban and I was going, hang on, it's Cedric. And then like he's gone. Right. Like, he's very much a case, a cameo there uh-huh. to set him up, and, and there he's properly in this one. And, and yeah, I, I probably the best movie I've ever seen Robert Pattinson in. Yeah, probably. There that goes. Oh, no, 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 no. If I haven't ruined Fleur de Cleur, I absolutely <laughs> guarantee, with absolute certainty, I'm about to ruin Chow Chang. Okay. Now, Chow Chang is uh, Harry Potter's Early love interest? Yeah, crush. It doesn't really go I, anywhere, does I it, really? I didn't really like that. You just, I know it kind of reflects teenage life, that you don't just have that, you know, you don't find the one at age 13 and then stick them all the way through the books. Unless you're Ron. Unless you're Ron. Uh, but but she just, she never really fit in. You didn't really get what, what Harry was attracted to other than just she's pretty. Again, that kind of reflects how teenagers are anyway. They're all yeah. a bit stupid. Yep. <laughs> but We wouldn't know. We were ones. No, no. They gave her a Scottish accent. Yeah, and okay. upon my latest rewatching of these movies, I did something as a joke that has now become an <laughs> impenetrable part of my oh, watching no. Harry Potter. I gave Cho Chang Billy Connolly's accent, <laughs> <laughs> and they can't. I I wouldn't. Even, I just the second she started talking, I would just talk louder to the point that my girlfriend was physically attacking me because whilst I was pissing myself, what I do. <laughs> Like she turned up like when when they meet each other at the Aylry and yeah, she's yeah. like, Would you get to property? Oh Harry <laughs> Why did you ask me yesterday, you silly twat? No, I'm gonna go Cedric and I don't want to. Oh god. <laughs> See even better in the next one. When Cedric's dead. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to tell you I'm new to Umbridge. I was just oh I thought about Cedric and I got a weepy. Oh no. Oh, but I still wanna kiss you. Oh come here, Harry, give us a kiss. Oh hey. Get that ginger bitch fucking out of here. No, I'm not having it. I'm telling you now, <laughs> Cho Chang is improved tenfold by giving a Billy Connolly's accent. All I can hear now, I know it's not Billy Connolly, it's in fact Robin Williams. All I can hear is 18 fucking times! <laughs> That's all I can hear. Fuck no! That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm not trying to run you down, Scottish people. You're a wonderful people with wonderful accents. Yep. But I'm just trying to improve Cho Chang. Who is that? She's fine, but I mean, I've improved her, so yeah, yeah, you're yeah. welcome, planet Earth. Um... Uh, right, let's talk about some of the more jiggly-pokery before we get into the kind of actual trials of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're also introduced to the Pensieve in this. Um... Yeah, something that really comes into play a lot more. Because I remember watching it and going, eh, that's a cool idea. But obviously I never saw the, the movies after this when it makes an appearance in every single movie after this. It does. Very important. Another magical MacGuffin. Yeah. But I, I, I like... I like the scenes it always leads to. In fact, there's some of the most interesting scenes in all the Harry Potter movies if, when you go yeah. into the Pensieve. If you're going to do flashbacks, you may as well give it context. Yeah, because they, they allow us to tell in later movies the story of Tom Riddle. Yep. Which, for that alone, it's worth it's worth it sticking around here in, uh, in Half-Blood Prince. 
Um, and we get great scenes like here. We get to see um, the trial of Igor Karkaroff. Um, that introduces two very fun people. Yeah. Um, first of all, we have to talk about Barty Crouch Senior. Yeah. Trigger. It's funny. <laughs> Which um, is every time he was on screen, when's he going to say it? When's he going to say Dave? Dave. I want right, Dave. to say Dave. <laughs> right, Dave. Your son was David, so it's close enough. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, um, you, I know Americans, you will have, you won't know him as anything other than Barty Crouch, but when you see him as Trigger, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to unseal. Like, I was hoping, genuinely hoping at one point, it'd be like, the Death Eaters are back, the Dark Mark is hanging over us, the Lord, the return of Lord Voldemort is imminent, and I've lost my dolphin. <laughs> More than anything. I didn't think... <laughs> and then, like, you just immediately hark us to no income tax, no, no VAT. <laughs> I basically started... Like, who could all the, the Only Fools and Horses cast play in this movie? I could, like... Like, we do get... Um, because, um, oh, God, he plays Slughorn. What's his name? Jim Broadbent. He is in Only Fools and Horses. Is he? Yeah, he's the, the cop that makes... Um, Dell's life misery. Oh, right. Who was married to Cassandra prior? Oh, uh, not okay. Cassandra, yeah, yeah. Uh, Raquel prior to yeah. um, DC Slater, I think. Something yeah. Like that. Um, and I thought I actually cast one. I thought, <laughs> oh, that's actually quite good. Go on. Why couldn't David Jason yeah. have been Cornelius Fudge? That would have been fun. Like, like Cornelius, like that's well in his like wheelhouse. He could have just been Taggart as opposed to you know Del Boy level yeah. of, of, of David Jason. If he was playing like Frost. Yeah. As, yeah, yeah, yeah. As not fudge. Taggart. Frost, yeah. of course. What Taggart? <laughs> Taggart is Hagrid. Has been a murder. <laughs> I've got Taggart. Sorry, yes. So, he could have been... He could have been Cornelius Fudge. I don't actually know the actor who plays Cornelius Fudge. He does fine, but that could have introduced Americans to David Jason and gotten some more work, which is always great. That would have been good. Things. Um... Yes, and then we also meet his son, who I got Karkaroff kind of... Sorry, all, all I can hear in my head now is Albus, you plonker. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Tenya, he would have been fantastic. Um, yeah, he outs um, um, Barty Crouch's son, Barty Crouch Jr., yeah. as, as the thing. And this is uh, David Tennant in really the first big thing he was ever in. Uh, wow. This was prior to Doctor Who. This was prior to Doctor Who? Really? Very, very close. Very, very, very close. But I think it was actually prior to him being I'm going to double Who. check this. You double check that. Um, because uh, he he's a very f- quirky man in this movie. Well, Tennant is known as a quirky actor all around. I mean, bef- at the same time that, that this movie was going on, he would have been known for Casanova and The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Two very... Different roles, but nevertheless not exactly what you'd call straight acting. So where did the tongue thing come from? I don't fucking know. He does it a lot. It's very off-putting. <laughs> I need to blame Max Landis for something. What? God, what? Well, what? For, for ruining Barty Grace. As much as I ruined Cho Chang, Max Landis has ruined Barty Grace Jr. now. Oh, right. Because he just ever said, I'm a fucking snake. <laughs> I, I like, like to hurt old people. people. Harry Potter. <laughs> Cannot be unseen. I'm a fucking snake. I'm a fucking snake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is ruined for me now. Thank I'm you basically, know. I'm just trying to ruin this movie, even though it's one of my favourites. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I've ruined it. I've improved it. Uh, right, well, let's talk about the um, the, the kind of uh, tasks that turn up in the Triwizard Tournament. Um, we open with the um, with the dragon one, which I still think is the best of the three. Yep. Uh, the underwater one's fine, but it, it's better described in the books. I feel like um, it, it goes on for longer. You get the whole mermaid thing. Um, oh, Michael had a point. Oh, just hold on. I was right, Darren. 
the first, the premiere episode of Doctor Who that featured David Tennant as the 10th Doctor broadcast on the 18th of June 2005 and Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire came out on the November the 18th, 2005. He was Doctor Who before he was Barty Crouch. Okay, I apologise. I got my timeline ever so slightly Don't long. question me on Doctor Who knowledge. Well, he would have been recording... Goblet of Fire prior to him recording his yes, Doctor Yes, yeah, because that was literally a five-second camera at the end of the episode to go, Barcelona, and that was it. So, you know, it makes sense if you watch Doctor Who. Nothing makes sense if you watch Doctor Who. Shut up, you dickhead, nothing's good. <laughs> Touché. Um, yes, we opened <laughs> with the Dragon Trial, which is, I think, one of the best action scenes in all of Harry Potter. Probably the best use of the Quidditch stage, I put it that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, we get him versus the Hungarian Horntail, and it's just magical little ride. I do love the way that the uh, dragons are chosen as well. And that scene where uh, Hagrid takes Harry to see the dragons is really cool. I like that. Because it's just a, it's just a case of where are you taking me? That's a fucking dragon! Oh, oh shit! <laughs> they do well to to not over you know understate the danger that the dragon presents, especially the Hungarian hunter, which is a mad bastard. Yeah. Even by Hagrid's standard, it's a mad bastard. Uh, and yeah, we get that great scene of it flying around the um, castle, of it trying to attack Harry Potter. But I think it, the the second oh sorry, we have to mention um, Filch with the cannon. Yeah, <laughs> Phil, Phil has like these really understated, funny moments all the way through the series. My particular favorite is him running into the Great Hall. I can't remember what movie he's in. I think it's in. That's it, I think it's Order of the Phoenix. Is it? I can't remember. I think it's yeah, he, he just runs in, <laughs> <laughs> which is the funniest goddamn visual. But yeah, him with a cannon, saying off too early, and he blowing the tent yeah. over. That, that this one is coupled with him constantly nailing the stuff to the wall in order for me. Yeah, so that's fun. That was a funny. Yeah, I think the problem is that the, the first task being as good as it is, the second task kind of underwhelmed. The Grindelows don't look fantastic. The mermaids don't look fantastic. No, that whole thing is just a bit weird. Although you do get the... Um, oh, what's the name of the thing that, that Neville gives him in order to survive? Gillyweed. The, the Gillyweed bit was kind of cool. Originally meant to be given to him by Dobby. Huh. And I know why they did it. Obviously, it's much cheaper to get Neville to give it to him than Dobby. But you kind of they missed Dobby throughout this series to really pay off what happens during Death Hours Part One. Yeah, because he's only ever in Chamber of Secrets and then he reappears. I want him to be in a bit more prominently. Yeah, but at the same time, you've got to balance it out with who do you want to have the more climactic heroic moment, Dobby or Neville? Uh... And 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 having seen all of them now, I know which one I'd rather have, and it's okay. Neville. Oh, I can't wait till we get to Devil's House Part 1. Just for that part. The rest of it's shit. Okay. But that part's going to be fun. Uh, yes, try second tournament. Then we get to the third task. Yeah. The the, the maze. Now, this goes on for a long time in the books. Yeah. Like there is, I think there's even two chapters dedicated to this one. He meets a sphinx at one point. Oh. Uh, he fights a giant blast-ended scoot. Justice for blast-ended scoots. <laughs> um... We, we spend a lot more time... There's a lot more goes into explaining why... Uh, we get the heel turn from Victor Crumb. We know he's been imperious, but he's kind of thrown away in this um, yeah, one. Yeah. Um, but of course, it all leads up to Cedric and Harry both grabbing the cup at the same time. We need for Hogwarts. Turns out it's a portkey. A little oh, bit of no. foreshadowing there. Oh, never mentioned again. But um, yeah, and we get transported to a graveyard. Yeah, this entire bit, because even the bit inside the maze, it's very like the whole movie's been quite wholesome, like you said earlier. It's been a good family adventure movie. And then it, it, it takes a harsh left down Guillermo del Toro inspired horror, which is kind of awesome. Because you've got those big noisy moments at the end of the of the end of the maze where the you know the maze is kind of closing in on them, trying to grab them. Lots of noise, lots of panic, lots of oh, and then they hit that cup and it's silent. Yeah. It's just silent as the grave. Ah. Uh, and we get into Wormtail comes back into the scene, he's got the, the kind of weird little 
almost corpse of Voldemort up in his arms. The, the kind of fetus corpse. Yeah, the fetus corpse. Still talks oh, like this. Which is weird. Uh, and then Wormdahl just straight up murders Cedric Rivera. There's no big build up what, what is first. it that he says? Like, kill the what? Kill the spare. The spare, that's it. He's just going like, and you're dead. And that's what I think is most jar. I think this scene was specifically set up to jar people out of the town to really set up that, oh my God, Voldemort's back and that's bad for everything. It works. It's very smartly shot in that way because, yeah, you get, there's no big build to a first major on-screen death, really, in Harry Potter. It's just, you even hear him hit the floor and see yeah. him just ba-dumf, and he's dead yeah. and he ain't coming back no way. No Nothing way. behind the eyes. He's just... No. Like, oh, damn. That, that's... that's how Vada Cadaver works. Yeah. Okay. Like, there's no, like, prolonged... No, it's just bang, you're dead. It's not even... You don't even get the... That the spider made like, no. in the last movie. It's yeah. just... Fumph, dead. God. Which is just fantastic. It. And then, yeah, he gets trapped in the grave, does Harry. Uh, off come... He gets a bit of blood. Off comes Wormtail's hand. And, that was satisfying. And he just, just right, he's then just placing Voldemort, and he just kind of throws him. <laughs> he's like, and like, airing out a mattress and <laughs> And Voldemort is here so, after four movies of building up to your main villain. That's a lot of balls, by the way. And not played by the same guy as he was in the first movie. No, completely different guy. But thankfully, they saw the light and gave it to Ray, Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes, Wraith Fiennes, whatever he wants to be called this week. Yes, exactly. But. um I think it's one of the strongest performances in all of Harry Potter, him as, him as Voldemort. Really? Definitely. I think he really, really nailed it. I think strong and big are two different things. I, I think, I, 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 especially with how how dangerously camp Voldemort is at times. It, it certainly peters out towards the end, which is good, because then it becomes menacing. But when, whilst Voldemort, like, there's there's hints of it. There's hints of it in this one. So during the final encounter between Voldemort and Harry in this movie, where he starts casting at the the statue saying, come out and face me. I was like, oh shit, this is actually really good. But when he's like just smirking and, and moving about all weird and snake-like, I'm like, this is a bit too cartoony. I don't know. I like that whenever he's on screen, you are uncomfortable. Yeah, I that's guess something it. that you very rarely get with villains of this ilk. You don't even get that with Vader. He isn't always scary. He isn't always villainy. There is no escaping how much of a villain Voldemort is. There's not a, f- a flicker of good in him. Yeah, and like I said, there's always like a bit of unease whenever he's on sh- on screen. I, I think that's it. what I appreciate the most about it. Maybe he could have been more threatening. They could have done more with the design to make him look more threatening, maybe. But yeah, the no-nose thing does not help. Well, no, but he had no nose in the book, so... No, that's, but that's it a... does not help. I don't know, I think it makes him unique. I think if he had a nose... Again, unique and scary are two different things. Okay, we'll make to differ on that one. But, um, no, I, I, like I said, I like the fact that he's very... He goes all in. He doesn't try and make him redemptive in any way, shape, or form. He's just pure goddamn... Evil, and this thing that Tom Riddle was meant to be a socially awkward person. Anyway. Well, he could charm people, yeah, but there's no humanity left in him. Well, you see that in the flashbacks. He's he's a psychopath in waiting, exactly, which I really like. Yeah, exactly, and that's you've seen it come out here where he's trying to, you know, he he doesn't really get him to make jokes, uh, and you can tell all the deaf he's just awkwardly laugh at him, yeah, um, which is fantastic. And and uh, there's a point in Death House Part Two where it really comes to the. Um, the fourth week has his awkward hug with Draco. Yeah, that's awesome. Fant- like a, an understated and underappreciated moment, that is. Um, but no, I love Voldemort. He's one of the few people, again, I know I say this in every episode, but he's one of those that came straight from the books, 
straight on the screen and it was it was sumptuous. I liked it as well. Like I said, I have problems with the how camp it is, but did I enjoy it? Fuck yeah. I when he gets it. to be powerful in Order of the Phoenix, when it's him versus Dumbledore, when it's Sidious versus Yoda, it's awesome. It's pretty rad. It's I, I liked so him in uh, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 as well. He had a lot to play with there and I really enjoyed it. He really did. And yeah, Voldemort's back. Yeah. Harry Potter told us so. And, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. We had problems already without him being alive. Now he's back. Oh, we in the shit. To know that this movie ends on is probably one of the more unique ones so far in the story. It's been very much three self-contained beginning, middle, end movies so far. Yeah. This is kind of like beginning, middle, we don't know what's going to happen. The ending of this one is far more uncertain. And I really liked how, yes, it was the end of another school year. And yes, they're all alive, mostly, for now. But there's still the kind of overhanging, like, the next time we see each other, it's not going to be a happy occasion. I no. like that ending. It's Empire Strikes Back, you're ending on a, on a bad note. Yeah. There's nothing good. There's nothing good. Um, because Voldemort is, Voldemort's here and there's no, like, oh, but don't worry, Cedric was okay, really. No, he did. Yeah, he, he did. gone. Actually, that's, this is one of the few instances where I think Michael Gambon actually excels as Dumbledore when he has to give the speech about Cedric's death. Yes. And, and he doesn't sugarcoat. He's like, the Ministry would like me to tell you that that he didn't get killed by Dumbledore, but I'm going to tell you, he got killed by Dumbledore. Shit's going to hell. He got killed by Dumbledore? Yeah, sorry, got killed by twist. Voldemort. Twist? That would have been the ultimate twist. Twist. Um, <laughs> yes, but then that's came to balance, as I said at the, uh, in the last episode, by him straight up strangling Harry Potter when he says, <laughs> We're in the Goblet of Fire! Oh, you forgot, we, <laughs> we forgot to mention that. Did you put it out in the Goblet of Fire? That's a bit, I was like, that's not, Dumbledore would never do that. Yeah, that was Not stupid. to Harry, not to any of his pupils. He'd do that, to, like, when he turned it on against some people, then, like, uh, like Snape and, and, and Voldemort and such, when he has to be stern, then yes, but not Harry. He doesn't do that to Draco when Draco has, is threatening to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't strike in then, but... Harry, did you put it over the goblet? In fact, that was always I think he, a... he gets he gets that in the later movie, but Gammon is just oddly aggressive in this movie sometimes. Yeah, from the moment his name is pulled out the cup, he's like, right, I'm not in a good mood for the next hour and a half. I'm like, okay, eh. fine. Eh. Plug away, Michael. Well, we're done. Yeah, that's everything covered in oh, Goblet of Fire. Oh, where are, we, where are you ranking this movie then? Oh, touche, Michael. I nearly forgot about that. Um, Tea's my favourite book. Yep. Um, I would say mm-hmm. this is definitely my top three, I'd yeah. say. Um, I, it's it's usually a straight fight between this and, and Half-Blood Prince, which is my other favourite book, for, for which one's second and which one's third. I think because this has better action scenes and a better pace... And a, and a really big payoff. I know um, that one has an equally big payoff as well. I think at the moment I would put it as a, my second favourite movie. I think it's very much in the same place for me, if not a contender for my favourite one. This was my favourite one before I completed the saga, and re-watching it again was a genuine joy. I think this is one of the movies where, admittedly, whilst it does introduce a greater overarching plot and does lead you on to the bigger story that is the Harry Potter saga and makes you want to watch more, you can actually really enjoy this self-contained as well. I think that's the brilliant dual sword of this movie. It really combines the two elements of the young adult, um, sort of, not apocalyptic in the sense that, say, the Hunger Games are, but that kind of attitude of of rising up and redemption and that kind of adult story for mm-hmm. kids, as well as the family-friendly action movie that has all the fun notes that you wanted to hit, yep. like the dragon scene, which is just 
it's superb. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is uh, this is either tied for first or it's second for me. It does strike a very good balance, and I think I appreciate that. Um, that's not going to last, Michael. No. But plug away first. Radio. So you can go to fanentertainment.com. Uh, we're slap bang in the middle of thirty days of stuff right now in Harry Potter week. So you can go and check out the rest of these podcasts, as well as a bevy of other podcasts and articles. Full thirty days of stuff. That's one piece of co- new content every day in the month of November. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and Minds under the username Fowlient. That's F O U L E N T to go and follow us on all your social media platforms. Darren, fantastic. You can find me on Twitter at the Guthridge. You can also go over to ProWrestling.net and check out my wrestling articles. Yes, if you've missed any of the Harry Potter podcasts, they're all available over on our SoundCloud, over on iTunes. Go listen to Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoners of Azkaban, and you can come back tomorrow if you want. Yeah. For Order of the Goddamn Phoenix, the longest book <laughs> that has the least happen in it. <laughs> Explain that one, JK. Explain that one. It's going to be a rant. I can tell you that now. That's probably the best way for me to pitch it to you. I think this next episode is going to be really fun. Unbridled hatred is coming the way of the Harry Potter Week podcast. Join <laughs> us tomorrow to see it. Find out what we think of the Order of the Shit. Bye. Bye.